book of Esther is a, it's a fascinating book of the Bible. Um, you would figure that since it's the book of the Bible that it would have like lots and lots of mentions of God in it, but it doesn't have any. It doesn't have any mention of prayer or any of the religious things that we normally would ascribe to a book of the Bible, but it has the fingerprints of God all over it, you know? And to me, in all honesty, I think that's more important, you know? One guy says, I love you, I love you, I love you, but what if he doesn't love you? What's more important, actions or, or words? And so when you're giving a lesson about the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, the, the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ, you know, it's more important, I think, to have that visual so that it can sink into our hearts. You know, I don't know if you guys know this or not. How many of you guys are cognizant of the fact that there is a battle, there is a war for your soul? You guys know that, right? Um, you know, the devil is, uh, he's having a field day taking people to hell. Some Christians are living like hell, unfortunately, because they're not embracing the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, and the, the enemy is winning. And what we see in the book of Esther is interesting. There's that battle that goes on. Esther is symbolic of Jesus Christ. You know, maybe you're here today and you're struggling for whatever reason. You want to know why you're struggling? Don't blame it on him or her or this or that. You got to get your eyes back on Jesus Christ. He still has great plans for your life. And as you follow him, man, no one, there's no man that could stop the work of God that he wants to do in your life. And so here we see this visual in the book of Esther. And I don't know how far we're going to get today. Let's start in chapter 3 and verse 1 where it says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. After these things, after what? Well, we saw in chapter two that Mordecai had saved the king's life by informing him of an assassination plot. And so we don't want to forget that because that's going to be later. Uh, it's going to be very important. But here we see that what happens is this guy Haman, he rises to power. You know, he just kind of like appears out of nowhere. Where did he come from? You know, when you read the, the story, we don't really know a whole lot of his background. Um, he seemingly rises out of the blue and he's seated above all the other princes who were with him. We read there in verse one. Where did this guy come from? You know, it's interesting. I think when I read of Haman, instantly I think of that passage over in Luke chapter four and verse six. When the devil tempted Jesus, the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. And so you guys remember the story, Satan had tempted Jesus to bow down to him. And he says, if you bow down to me, I'll make you one of the rulers of the land because it's all that power has been given to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. Did you guys know that Satan has that type of power? You know, three times in the scriptures, Satan is called the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, John chapter 14, verse 30, John chapter 16, verse 11. And so as the ruler of this world, I believe Satan placed Haman there in that position of power, and he has his plan. He wants to do his thing, and he does indeed rule. But here's the thing. The book of Esther teaches us that God still has his plan. 
And even though man rules, God will overrule. Do you guys believe that? I mean, I look forward to the fact that one day we're going to go to heaven, man. I'm so blessed by that. You know, some of the songs that, that Angel selected tonight it was really cool. You know, for, you know, and typically I probably wouldn't have thought uh, along those lines of selecting those songs, but just singing the fact that you belong to him. You kind of need to sing that over and over. I am yours. I am yours. Because sometimes I think we forget that. You know, you belong to the Lord. He has these plans for your life. And the devil's going to try to come in. He's going to try to throw you off track. But, you know, for us as Christians, man, I pray that we would not allow that to happen, that we would know that, yeah, the devil's going to move, but we've got to remember God cannot be defeated, you know? I mean, sometimes the devil puts people there, your boss. How many of you struggle with your boss? It's just out of curiosity. I'm just joking. I won't make you guys do that. Your landlord, um, our mayor, governor, president. You know, I'm not saying they're all put there and influenced by Satan, but the bottom line is some are. And there's this crazy battle going on for people's souls. And believe it or not, you and I are right in the, in the thick of things, right? I mean, you might be here tonight and you're the nicest little lady in the whole wide world. Doesn't matter. You have an enemy, who hates you and who wants to destroy you. And so we need to know this every single day of our lives. Do you know you have an enemy? Are you cognizant of the fact? Do you wear your armor? Do you pray? Do you know that, you know, God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil? See, we need to be aware of these things. There are people out there who are instruments of Satan who hate us like Haman. You know, this guy right here, Verse 1, after these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha. Notice it identifies him as an Agagite. And, and what that means is that he's a descendant of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites. You know, there might be some of you here tonight. How many of you here, you're like, I don't care about King Agag. I, I just I'm just thinking about King Taco. How many of you guys are along those lines right now? Right? You know, you're like, you know what? I'm just waiting for you to finish up, and I'm going to run to King Taco. Okay, that's fine, but maybe I'll join you. But here's the thing, okay? We need to know, you need to know who King Agag is. It's very important. For some of you, it might make the difference between heaven and hell. You need to know who your enemy is and how he operates. Truth is, about 600 years earlier, King Saul of Israel was sent on a mission from God to wipe out the Amalekites, and especially this guy, King Agag, because he was the leader. But Saul wasn't willing to obey God's orders to win the war over the enemies. Instead, he allowed King Agag to, to live, and it exposed his heart in that he would allow the Amalekites to live, even though they were the perpetual enemies of God and his people. You know, you go back in the Bible, you travel to Exodus chapter 17 and verse 16, the Bible says the Lord sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. 
I mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to like put it into words. Some of you guys here, you've been a Christian for a long time. Some of you here is your first time to church. How do you, you know, share these things about the Amalekites and the Agagites and Esau and all that kind of stuff? If I could just kind of put it one way, and some of you might understand this, you know, it's like, um, I don't know, the rival, like the Dodgers hate the Giants type of thing, right? I mean, it's kind of like that. This, these Amalekites, they were like the perpetual enemies of God. God says, I want you to wipe them out because if you don't wipe them out, they will wipe you out. That's who they were. That's who Agag was. Haman is now an Agagite. He's of the Amalekites. They were the perpetual sworn enemies of God. You can even go back further to Genesis 36, verse 12. It says, Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek. And so here in that passage, we discover that Amalek is a descendant of Esau, who according to Genesis 25:22, even fought with the godly lineage of Abraham within the womb of Rebekah, Isaac's wife. I mean, I don't know, I'm just trying to kind of give you that picture. You've got twins, two little babies in their mommy's womb, and they're fighting within the womb. That's Esau, and what we find right here is he's a picture of the flesh. Genesis 25, 22, and 23, but the children struggled together within her, and she said, if, if all is well, why am I like this? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The, right there where it says uh, that they struggled within her, it, it literally means that they jostled. Literally in the Hebrew language, they jostled with each other. You guys know what that is, right? You got the two horses going at each other and you got, you know, they're going. That's what's going on here. The Hebrew word here suggests a violent struggle that was out of the ordinary. I mean, some of you ladies right here, you remember how it was when you're pregnant? and your baby's kind of moving around in there, and you're like, hey, that's pretty cool. Some of you dads, you know, you'd put the hand over the, the tummy, and you're like, oh, what a blessing, you know, a little kick here and there. But this is way beyond the norm. This is a violent struggle beyond the ordinary. And what it was was a picture of the perpetual battle that would take place. You know, for us, it's heaven and hell. For us, sometimes it's your marriage, whether or not it's going to make it, whether or not you're going to make it with the calling of God on your life. You got to, you know, keep your eyes on the Lord. It's a battle. I mean, you got guys that are pastors that fall into sexual sin. You know, and it's like, how does that happen? Well, they lose that, that battle. You know, this is the root of all that. Fast forward 600 years after the time of Saul, who was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites, and here's this guy, Haman, an Amalekite. So he is of the perpetual enemy of God's people. So what do you think his agenda will be? Right. And so we read in verse 2, and all the king's servants who were within the king's gate, they bowed and they paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him, but Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. 
And so the king says, hey, whenever you see Haman, this guy that I've elevated to the status right next to me, I want you guys to bow to him. But Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. Now, some say it was a religious conviction, but that doesn't fit the context. It wasn't that the king demanded homage as Haman being a god or an idol. It was just a matter of honor for the position that he held. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. In that culture, according to Jewish law, there would, be, there would have been nothing wrong along the religious convictions for you know, Mordecai uh, to offer him homage. After all, Abraham bowed down to the sons of Heth in Genesis 23:7. Joseph's brothers all bowed to him when they perceived him to be an Egyptian official and ruler in Genesis 42:6. David even bowed down to Saul, and David loved the Lord. And he was in right relationship with God, but he bowed down to his king in 1 Samuel 24, 8. And so it wasn't that he was, you know, concerned about violating the Jewish law. So why didn't he bow down to Haman? And I believe the reason Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman is because he knew he was an Amalekite, a perpetual enemy of God. He knew this man was a true blue enemy of God and the people of God. And so here's this guy elevated to that status. Mordecai sees him. Everyone else bows down. He doesn't bow down. And so we read in verse 3, then the king's servants who were within the king's gates, they said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him every day and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. And so there you are, and you love the Lord. You know who is on God's team and and you know who's against God. Maybe, for example, you're a dad. And so, you know, the devil sees that you're right on, that you love the Lord. And let me tell you something. The devil's not going to just go after you, dad. He's going to go after Papa Bear and Mama Bear and all the kids. He will try to devour your entire family. You know, the whole, the whole church, you're not content when maybe just the pastor will smite the shepherd and the, and the sheep will be scattered. I mean, I want to ruin the entire work, the entire church, the entire nation of Israel. Why is it that Iran says, I want to wipe Israel off the face of the map? Why? It's the devil. It's this mentality. It's the... Amalekite, it's that spirit of the enemy who's trying to destroy us. And so here you see it all in, in pictorial language. You see, you know, Haman elevated by the devil, but it's okay, you know, God's on the throne, he's got a plan. Haman's there. Mordecai then is there, he doesn't bow down. And then what ends up happening is as he's there, he's in the king's gate after Esther had been queen. Uh, the other guys see Mordecai and they say, hey, why don't you bow down to Haman? Uh, ultimately, they wanted to find out if such behavior would be tolerated. And so 
they, they told Haman about what was going on, this rebellious man, and there's no doubt that Mordecai told them the reason he didn't bow down. Notice again there at the end of verse four, if you would look for a second, for Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. Now, I don't know for sure, but it just seemed earlier that he wasn't willing to let that information out, but I think God's now stirring his heart. He's an Amalekite, and I'm a Jew, and I can't bow down to him. I mean, I, I, I believe Haman was put there by Satan, you know, for many reasons. I'll tell you what, part of the reason I believe that he is there planted by Satan is because of the reaction of Haman. You know, when this guy didn't bow down to him, the Bible says that he was filled with wrath. The Hebrew word speaks of fury or rage or indignation, venom, even poison. You know, and you wonder, well, why was he so upset that Mordecai didn't bow down to him? Is because he loved it when the people bowed down to him. Why? Because that's how Satan is, right? That's always been his problem, huh? You know, when the devil tempted Jesus in Luke 4, verse 5 and 7, it says the devil took him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give to you and their glory, for it's been given to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, he said, if you will worship me and bow before me, all will be yours. You see, it's all the, the devil's ever wanted. Worship from men or from angels and even from God to bow before him, right? That's how he fell in the first place when you read Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. The Bible says how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, or you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. That's the other angels. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And so the devil has, has always had that heart once iniquity was found in him. And so Haman here, having the same spirit, was furious when Mordecai didn't pay him homage. And so he said, you know what? I'm not just going to get this one man. I will destroy all the Jews throughout the entire kingdom. And so we read in verse 7, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Hasuerus, they cast per, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. And then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom their laws are different from all other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it's not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. And so the king took his signet ring from his hand. He gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. We read there in verse seven that Haman begins by casting lots. And so 
These are pebbles they would somehow use to discover the will of their gods. And so there's a lot going on here, you guys. This is beyond the clash of the titans, okay? And this is beyond Haman and Mordecai. It's beyond the Israelites versus the Amalekites. This is a battle between Satan and all that is evil and God and all that is good. And we're right in the middle of that. You ever think about that? I mean, it's cool, you guys. Uh, I, I pray, you know, for us as a church, we're always thinking about, man, Lord, I, I hope they're okay. I hope they're, you know, they're, they're, they're winning the battle. And Lord, not only that we would win the battle by knowing how awesome you are, but Lord, that you would use our life, you know, to help others. We're gonna see like Mordecai did and Esther as well. But as they're there, he's casting lots. Um, he's trying to figure out when this is all going to take place, when he will attack the Jews, when he will kill them, when he will slaughter them. And so he's casting lots, thinking that he's communicating to his God. But ultimately, when we cast lots, who determines what happens with those lots? It's, it's the living God, huh? It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's our God. He's the one that says. I mean, you play, I don't know, when was the last time you played Yahtzee? You guys ever played Yahtzee, man? Hey, God is the one who says who wins. Let me tell you, man. <laughs> and so the Bible says in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So Haman cast the lots seeking to determine the date for the destruction of the Jews and God sets the date. And the cool thing about it, the Lord gives an entire year. When the lots fall, it could have been next week. It could have been next month or whatever, you know, four months. No, an entire year is given because this would give the Jews the time they would need. So anyways, he gets the date and then he goes to the king with his request to wipe out an entire race of people whom he says have different laws and are not fit to live. And so king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed and I will give you uh, 375 tons of silver to go totally towards you and your administration. Now it's interesting, maybe that's why Haman got to where he was because he was super rich. Um, again, we don't know, but 375 tons of silver, that would be the equivalent to 75% what the Persian government would normally get in an entire year. Some say it would be the equivalent today to about $200 million. He says, you know what, let me do this. You're gonna get a grip of silver in the process, right? Historians tell us that the kingdom of Persia definitely could use the money because they had recently suffered the devastating defeat at the hands of Greece. And so what does he do? He calls for an ethnic cleansing, the annihilation of an entire race of people. Think about that. You know, and don't you think it's, it's weird, it's strange, it's crazy and bizarre how the king, you know, he gets the plan. He doesn't ask any questions. He just gives Haman his signet ring, which basically says, do whatever you want. I don't want to sound weird or anything because I believe that King Ahasuerus had a will and uh, maybe he was just one of those leaders who just didn't care. Um, also, I was thinking about the Lord of the Rings. You guys ever see the Lord of the Rings? You guys remember that one king that was kind of like under a spell? 
You guys remember that? I, I looked up all the information and had all the names written down, and I said, oh, they're not going to know who it is, and so I didn't write it down you know, here, but, but you know, it's kind of like that. It's 1 John 5, 19. What does the Bible say? The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I mean, that's where I was before I was a Christian, man. That's why I was getting high and doing all the things that I was doing. It's because I was, I was cast under his spell. I mean, how dumb the life that I lived. And so here's you know, this plan to wipe out an entire race, and the king doesn't ask any questions. He just says, okay, that sounds good. Here's my ring. Go ahead and make the laws that you need to make to kill the people that you need to kill. And so we read in verse 12, and then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to this king's satraps, to the governors who over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus, it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. And the couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman, check this out, they sat down to drink. But the city of Shushan was tripping out. That's what it says literally in the Hebrew language. <laughs> they were perplexed, they're confused, they're like, what's up? You know, they, they, they saw social media, I mean, just everywhere, all around the world, everyone finds out there's a new law that on this day, the 13th day of the last month, everybody, everybody is to, is to like, kind of like team up, you know? You get every other race against this one race, and you have the authority now to wipe them out and to plunder their possessions, you know? And, and it was the Jews. You know, imagine if it was you. Like, let's just say, you know, there's this law that says we're gonna wipe out the, the, the Mexicans, you know? Okay, you know, because you gotta take it to heart. Like, whoa, me? Yeah, you. I mean, this law went out. And so, you know, when you look at that, they gather the leaders, the lawmakers, the scribes, the state traps, they draft the letters, send it throughout the entire kingdom that on this day, the people are to rise up and wipe out all the the Jews, all the men, all the women, young, old, the children, annihilate them, completely destroy them. Doesn't matter if they're young or old, and, and by the way, he says, feel free to keep the property of anyone you end up killing. It's all yours, and it's, it's all legal. And so the couriers, they go out, and copies are distributed, and then it's interesting what we read again there in verse 15, how the king just sat down to drink. And I wonder about that. I don't want to read too much into it. How many of you here, though, before you were a Christian, you used to drink, you used to get drunk, you used to do dumb things? Uh, probably more of you. You guys are, are really, you guys don't tell the truth, man. <laughs> I mean, 
I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest with you, if something as stupid as this was done because he was an alcoholic. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. We saw earlier that he ended up getting a divorce from his wife because he was an alcoholic. He had trouble with anger and alcohol. It's a bad combination. It'll ruin your life. Some of you say, well, it's okay. I just like to have a little cup of wine every once in a while to kind of like, you know, you know, calm my nerves. I mean, you know what? You don't need it. The reason, part of the reason I don't drink is what if my kids saw me drink? And what if they started getting drunk? And what if they got addicted? What if they fell into that lifestyle? And who knows me? Thank God I haven't had a beer since August 20th, 1989. But what if I had one? Where would that lead me? I'm telling you this, Ephesians 5.18, it says, and do not be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you're under the influence of alcohol or drugs, you're under the influence of the enemy. But when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you know, talk about a high. I mean, God will lead your life. God will empower you. God will give you strength over pornography or drugs or alcohol or whatever your struggles might be, you know? Um, I know that when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, there is power for our walk. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I can't do it, I'm just human. And yeah, you know, you are just human, and that's why you need supernatural strength. Here we see this guy, you know, they do all this thing, and I don't know, when I just read right there, and so they just sat down to drink. I thought to myself, man, who knows? Maybe that's the whole reason this king is willing to wipe out a whole race. How many people have lost worse due to alcohol? You know, in looking at this thing, I, I want to give you guys three things in closing that I think we need to go away with. Things that I think we can pull out of this study here. Because really what it is, is, a, is, a, is a, it's a story that is an allegory, although it's true, it all has significant meaning, you know? I love those kind of stories. You guys, are, you've seen some of those C.S. Lewis stories. What's the one with the lion? Aslan, what's it called? The Chronicles of Narnia. Have you guys seen that? How many of you guys have seen that? Okay, if you haven't seen it, you gotta go see it tonight. iTunes, you know, rent it. The lion is Aslan. And when you guys see that lion, he is awesome, you know? And, and you gotta get that visual of, of Jesus so like cuddly in one sense. There's Lucy and she's all, you know, hugging him and then so powerful that when he roars, man, it just, it scares the daylights out of you. I mean, that's how Jesus is. And so sometimes when you look at stories, you, you kind of see the visuals and then you kind of get a message from that. Well, that's what this book is supposed to be. When we look at this chapter right here and we look at this story as we go through it, one of the things we're gonna see is the enemy. The enemy. Did you guys know that Haman is symbolic of the enemy? He's called that four times in this book. Look at chapter three in verse 10. It says, so the king took his signet ring from his hand, gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. 
He's also called the enemy in Esther chapter 7, verse 6, where he's called the adversary and enemy. He's called the enemy in chapter 9, verse 10, and chapter 9, verse 24. The Hebrew word for enemy, you're like, what's an enemy? It, it means to bind or besiege or surround or distress. It means to, to be hostile towards or to harass someone. You know, and when you start serving the Lord, let me tell you something, man. You know, the enemy, he's going to come against you. And we have to be ready for that. You know, that's what our enemy does. He harasses us. He surrounds us. He besieges us. He tries to bind us. That's who he is. But, but what does he really want to do ultimately? Well, look at verse 6. It says, But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews. What does the enemy want to do? Give you a hard time? No, he wants to destroy you. That's his agenda, right? We read it also in chapter 3 in verse 13. Notice the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy. There's that word again. Kill, annihilate all the Jews. If you would, go to chapter 4 in verse 7. It says, And Mordecai told him all that had happened and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to, to destroy the Jews. We see the same thing in chapter 9 in verse 24. As a matter of fact, the devil's agenda is so clear that he actually has that title as Apollyon, the destroyer. You know, and that's his agenda. Obviously, there are many people, unfortunately, that won't follow Jesus Christ or on that broad road that leads to destruction, right? But I think there's even also an element for us as Christians, you know, that, that sometimes, man, God has this amazing plan for our life. He wants to work in us. He wants to work through us. And what ends up happening is we allow him to come in and just discombobulate everything so that you know, when you die, you're going to have a lot of regrets, a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas, because you didn't really live your life by faith. And what ended up happening is all these good things that God wanted to bless your life with, you won't have because the enemy destroyed it. That's his heart. That's his agenda. You know, one of the things I think one of the most powerful passages is, is over in, in John chapter 10. I, I want to take you guys there Real quick. And I know a lot of you know this passage, but in case you don't, you know, this is a really good one to remember. It says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief does not come except to kill, to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. See, that's what the enemy wants to do. I believe that he means he wants to steal you from God. He wants you to die, and he wants you to go to hell. That's the agenda of the enemy. But notice what it says next. Jesus said, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I pray that that's where you guys would live, and that life and that life that, that is an abundant life. You know, It's a life of love and peace and joy and victory. You know, it's not a life of perfection because as long as we're on this side of time, we're going to continue to sin. But sin will not have dominion over you. 
you will have a beautiful marriage. You will have a life of sexual purity. You will not be bound by pornography or lust. Yes, we do struggle sometimes, but we find ourselves as overcomers. We are in the word on a consistent basis. We are in prayer. We go to church. We're in fellowship. Again, you know, and again, not perfect, but man, I'm telling you this. When, when God's people live a life of abundance, we will see prayers answered. We will see mountains moved. We will see miracles take place. We will be able to have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's a completely different life. You see, the enemy wants to come in. He wants to destroy everything. I want to steal, kill, and destroy. That's our enemy, you guys. And he's going to be there until the day we die. But the thing that we got to know is that Jesus has come, that we may have that life and that life more abundantly. And so one thing I think we take away from Esther 3 is the, number one, the enemy. And number two, the Jews. I, I think it's important for us as Christians to know that through them, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's what we read in the scriptures, right? Um, I've been reading that as I'm going through the Bible, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, and then you continue on in different places. Through them, God would bless all the families of the earth. And so you're here today, and you're blessed by them. Why? Because through the Jews, we have the scriptures, through the Jews, we have our Messiah, right? And that's why, you know, just as a quick side note, that's why we see a lot of the world today that goes against the Jews, right? I mean, even recently, we've seen our nation, which has always been an ally to Israel. We've seen our nation abstain from voting. In other words, it's kind of like voting against them. I believe a large part of the reason God has blessed the United States of America is because we've always been an ally to Israel. But now if we you know, take our hand off of that, we're going to be in big trouble. There's something special about the Jews. The enemy has always tried to wipe them out. You go back to the days of Moses where he says, hey, you got any little boys? You know, you kill them. You know, you go back and you study throughout history, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, you know, the, uh, the Persians here, Haman, this plan, trying to wipe them out. You know, Nazi Germany. I mean, you read the stories of what happened in Nazi Germany. Um, six million Jews died. 1.1 million of them were children. I mean, and you begin to look at just all the things that happened in the different camps. And what you find is, man, that's pure evil. That's the enemy. So I think in reading this, we see, you know, definitely that there is this enemy. He hates the Jews. He hates all of God's people. He hates you. Did you know that? You're like, no, not me. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm cool. No, he hates you. <laughs> he hates your kids. He hates your family. He hates everything about you. And he will come and he'll do whatever he can, you know. Sometimes he comes and you go through trials. All I know is that, that my, my pastor used to tell me Satan goes fishing. And he'll put at the end of that hook whatever it takes to ruin your life. See, but what we find in the end, and the last thing is this, is that, is that we have a Savior. As we go through the, the story, we're going to see that Esther 
is a picture of Jesus. And she ends up standing in the gap. And as a result of this little orphan girl who one day, you know, is just beautiful, and then she gets exalted to be queen of Persia, totally the Lord, that God uses her little, beautiful, wonderful life to save God's people. And two things in closing. Number one, are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I'm not talking about a religion. I went to Catholic school all my life. I read the whole Bible, but I didn't know Jesus. And then one day, God spoke to me, and he said, hey, Manny, you got to take it beyond a religion and into a relationship. You're a sinner, and you're separated from God. You need a Savior. Jesus died for you on the cross. Have you given him your heart? And that day, I gave my life to the Lord. Everything changed. He gave me life. I know for sure. And you know what? I had a close call today in the rain when I was driving. Don't tell my wife, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, none of us knows, man. I mean, you're like, oh, I'm going to live until I'm 83. I just watched a video the other day. I encourage you guys. There's a video out there from the pastor of Calvary Chapel, East Anaheim. And you guys seen that video? It is amazing. He died at the age of 33. And when you watch the video, it's just an awesome video. I think it has like 90,000 hits now. And he was saying, I, I would have never thought. He said, I planned on living to, to 83, but I never knew I would you know, be diagnosed with cancer and all these things. And you know, none of us here, we don't know. And so we got to be ready, not trying to scare you into anything. All I'm saying is the reality is that none of us has tomorrow guaranteed. Today is the day of salvation. If you don't know the Lord, he loves you. Jesus died for you. He was nailed to a cross for you. His blood will wash away all your sins. All you have to do is accept him as your Lord and Savior. Tonight you make a decision to follow him and he will write your name in the book of life. It's a free gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I pray that if you don't know the Lord, that today you would know him. So we would be saved, but then secondly, in going through the book of Esther, that we are saved to serve. We are saved to serve. I wanna be like Mordecai. I wanna be like Esther. I love the Lord and I love the people and I know that God can use my life even though I'm nothing. That's what I want. So. Mordecai was used by God in that he wasn't willing to bow down. So don't bow down to the agenda of this world and the way that they try to conform you into their image. And they'll tell you what to watch on TV. They'll tell you how to dress. They'll tell you everything that you need to be doing. Don't bow down to the world. That was Mordecai. And then Esther, really the, the thing about her was and don't be silent. Don't be silent. You know, we're going to see next week that Mordecai said to her, you know, well, you can be silent if you want. You, you can keep quiet, but you're not going to escape death. And for us, and that's the key, you know, we got to speak the name of Jesus. Invite people. Tell them about the love of God that's found in Jesus Christ. And as you're sharing and as you're not silent, I really believe God will use your life. I pray, you guys, we would know these things.